Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, let me draw your attention to verse 24. The Bible says here, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit... Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath the tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skip to verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels and shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask for Your help again and through Your Spirit, Lord, that You'd help us to understand Your Word. And Lord, make the right applications with it. And I pray that you'd use your word this afternoon to accomplish your will. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we find that Jesus, again, is speaking in parables. And we know from context here that Jesus was actually sitting in a boat speaking to great multitudes of people when he spoke this parable to them. And it wasn't until later after the multitude was gone away, that Jesus sat down with his disciples to explain the meaning of this parable of the wheat and the tares. And Jesus foretells of the day when the saved and the lost are going to be separated, the true believer will be separated to eternal life, and the unbeliever or the tear or the fake one to everlasting fire. I want to talk about this parable of Jesus with the wheat and the tares and just lay some groundwork with some context before we get to making application about it. First of all, consider the story of the parable itself. If you go to verse 1 of chapter 13, 
The Bible tells us here in chapter 13, verse 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And a great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And so we find here that Jesus went out of a house, and he goes by the seashore. And verse 2 tells us that great multitudes of people gathered around And so Jesus, being so pressed by the people, moved out away from the seashore into a boat to teach them. Verse 3 says, And he spake many things unto them in parables. And that tells us here that that, uh, the teaching of Jesus is going to be done in parables. So verse 2 tells us that this multitude gathered around, so Jesus had to teach them out of a ship, and he started teaching them in parables. Now, what is a parable? You know what a parable is. A parable is a story. It's an illustration of a truth. And there's some central truth that, that, that Jesus is teaching, and the story is to illustrate what he's trying to get across. Okay? So it's an illustration. Well, when you get verse 3 down through verse 33 of Matthew 13, you find that Jesus spoke several parables to these multitudes. In verses 3 through 9 and in verses 18 to 23, Jesus is teaching on the parable of the sower who goes out and sows good seed. And he talks about the soils of the heart. And, and the, the only good, only the soil that brings forth fruit is the good soil. And then he talks about the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we're going to consider today. He also talks about the parable of the mustard seed, and he talks about the parable of leaven in all of these verses. And so Jesus begins to speak to them in parables, and he lists several, several stories to illustrate truth. Now, verse 10 of chapter 13 is telling. Go to verse 10. The Bible says here that the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? All right, so we're getting the background and the idea. Jesus is teaching in parables. Even the disciples are kind of like, what are you doing, Lord? And they ask the question, why are you teaching them in parables? Well, in verses 11 through 15, Jesus gives several reasons why he's teaching in parables. Look at verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Now Jesus is not talking about material things here. When he says to whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and, the, and he'll be given more in abundance, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away that which he has. He's talking about spiritual knowledge here. Those who have an ear to hear, those who have a heart for truth, to him it's going to be given more, and it's going to be given in more abundance. But those who don't want to hear, those who have a stubborn heart, even the knowledge that they do have is going to be taken away. Now let's, con- let's consider further. So he says in verse 13 then, Therefore, because of this, 
speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And the reason they don't is because of their heart condition. And he says in verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time... They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and get this and should be converted and I should heal them. And so Jesus gives several reasons here why he speaks to them in parables. He shows what they all have in common first. He says, all of you see And all of you here, in other words, what Jesus is saying is you all have access to the same truth. You all see, you all hear, you all have access to truth. And then he shows the contrast between the saved and the unsaved. He says all don't understand or even want to understand. In other words, he says there are those among you who act spiritual who look spiritual, who participate in the spiritual, but they're not actually saved. And if they, he says, if they could actually hear and they could actually see, then I would convert them and heal them. He says their heart is waxed gross in verse 15. It means to thicken or to callous. In other words, their heart has grown calluses over it. Their heart is not penetrable. It's got a skin and a covering that keeps the truth from getting in. It keeps their eyes from being open to the reality of things. He says their ears are dull of hearing. It means heavy. It means they're tired of hearing the same thing. They're tired of hearing the truth. Their ears are heavy and they don't want to hear it anymore. Their eyes are closed. Not because they don't have access and they can't see, but they're closed on purpose. They won't see. And so, to illustrate this mix of people, those who love truth, who want knowledge, who who God will give them more, and those who actually don't want to hear, even though they look spiritual or participate in the spiritual, but don't have ears to hear, to illustrate this mix of people, Jesus gives this parable of the wheat and the tares growing together. And you get to verse 24, and the Bible says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, and he says, all all of this that we've talked about here, this is the story to illustrate what I'm talking to you about. Does that make sense? So he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath the tares? Where did these tares come from? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, 
lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 30 says, Jesus said, let them both grow together until the time of the harvest. And the implication is there is coming a day of reaping. And in that day of reaping, the tares are going to be exposed for what they are and cast into the fire. Now, consider the interpretation of the parable. Because Jesus interprets it for us. And a lot of times when you are considering a parable, you can't take every aspect of that story and formulate doctrine out of it because a story is simply an illustration of truth. There's one central truth. But other times, and many times, Jesus actually interprets the parable for us. And so we know exactly what this means because Jesus tells us what it means. So look with me in verse 37. So the disciples, in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So they want to know themselves, what exactly does that mean? And so Jesus says in verse 37, And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. And so Jesus says the sower of that good seed is Jesus, Jesus himself. In verse 38, he says the field is the world. He says the good seed that he's talking about are the children of the kingdom. We could say they're the saved ones, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And so the tares are those who are unsaved, those who are uh, the children of the wicked one. And then he says in verse 39, the enemy that sowed these tares is the devil. So the tares are the children of the devil. They're unsaved. The reapers, he says in verse 39, are the angels. And then in verses 40 to 42, he tells us the tares burned in the fire are the unbelieving. In verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then in verse 43, He says, The wheat are the righteous who will be with their father. And so Jesus tells us exactly what this parable means and what each of these things represents. And so I needed to do that and wanted to do that so that we get a full understanding of what Jesus is talking about before we start making application to the parable. And I don't plan to keep you long at all, just make a few applications here, but let the Word of God and the Spirit of God speak, because He says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And don't be like those who are dull of hearing, those who can't see or won't see. 
those who have calluses over their heart that won't let truth penetrate. Let God and His Word have His way. What are the applications to the parable? Well, the first application I would make is this, is that Satan opposes the work of God. In verse 25 and also verse 39, we see an illustration of this. Verse 25 says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Verse 39, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. What we find here is that Satan, the enemy, is opposed to the work of God. And while God would have all men to be saved, the devil, on the other hand, would have all men to remain in their lost condition so that they experience the wrath of God in the lake of fire. The devil wants to kill and to destroy. God wants all men to repent and all men to receive life. Satan, I believe, knows that he has a short season to work. He may not know the time that the Lord is going to return, but he knows that his time is short. And I believe Satan is actively deceiving and blinding the hearts of men to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, turn there, keep your place in Matthew. But 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3 The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. Satan is actively trying to blind the hearts of men so that the gospel does not penetrate into their life. And we, and we find that Satan is opposed to the work of God. And how does he do his work? Well, we find back in our text in Matthew chapter 13 that the devil or the enemy works while God's people sleep. Go back to verse 25. He says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. He does his work while men sleep. And we heard this morning in Sunday school that the New Testament church is the pillar in the ground of the truth. The New Testament church is responsible for maintaining the truth of God. And listen, we, we, we cannot fall asleep on the job because Satan opposes the work of God. While men slept, the enemy comes in and starts sowing the tares. We read over in the book of Jude that Jude wanted to, to, to write a letter concerning the glorious salvation, but he couldn't do it because there was a problem. Men were not earnestly contending for the faith, and because they were not earnestly contending for the faith, when you look in verse 4 of Jude, he says that there are men who have crept in among you unawares because you're asleep. You're not holding the truth. You're asleep on the job, and the devil is doing his work. We have admonition in the Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, 
walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The lion goes about looking for the weak, looking for the prey. He doesn't go after the strong. He goes after the weak to devour it. And so the the admonition is to be on guard, to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be serious about the life that you have and the day we live. Because your adversary, the devil, is seeking to destroy. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 27, I'll just quickly read this to you. If you get there before me, you can read it to me. Ephesians 4, verse 27, the Word of God encourages us and challenges us, neither give place to the devil. The admonition is the same, to be alert and to be on guard. He works while God's people sleep. You can make application in your own personal Christian life. Falling asleep, as it were, in your Christian life, not being on guard, and and things start to, to work their way into your life that will negatively impact your life for Christ. We can make the application for truth that there would be those who would creep in or be in, involved because God's people aren't holding a standard of truth. God's people aren't on guard. We're sleeping. And it starts to impact the body. We also find back in Matthew 13, not only does he work while God's people sleep, but Satan's chief method is imitation. His method to work his, 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 his work and his ills is imitation. In verse 26, the Bible says, But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also, along with the blade, along with the wheat, the tares were growing up. And the Bible tells us that Satan is the master counterfeiter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. The Bible tells us that Satan is the master counterfeiter. He imitates what is true. And maybe there's elements of things that are true. But in reality, there's a whole bunch of false. And so it looks really good. And it's able to pass off as good. But, but in reality, it's something that's going to be destroyed. It's the work of the devil. And he says, it's, you shouldn't marvel that there's false teachers and false prophets. That shouldn't be a thing that marvels us because Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And so don't be surprised if, they, if he has ministers that look like they're righteous and others. 2 Peter 2.1 talks about false prophets among you and many follow after them. 2 Peter 2, in verse 1, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people. They are among the people. They look like they're true, but they're not really true. They're imitators, and they blend in. 
There's false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily or privately or secretly shall bring in their damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The Bible talks about false spirits. First John tells us to try the spirits, whether they are of God. So the devil has his workers, his prophets, his chief method is imitation. He even has a false gospel, or many false gospels. We've been reading about it in Galatians, in the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who's called you from the grace of life into another gospel, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. It's a false gospel. And if he can mimic these, he can mimic real Christianity with religion. He can wrap it up in a nice wrapping paper and he can put a bow on it, but on the inside it's nothing but trash. And it's meant to deceive, it's meant to destroy. And there's lots of churches, friends, and you have to be aware of this, and maybe you already are, I'm sure you are, but you really need to understand, not everything that glitters is gold. And not every church sign that says Independent Baptist on it is a true New Testament church of God. And not every sign that says Independent preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to water it down. They want to mix it. They want to mix error and truth together and say, all you need to do is believe because the Bible says, if you'll just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Do you want to add Jesus into your life? Do you want to go to heaven? Well, yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? Then come on down. You're on the prices, right? Right? That's the next part of that phrase. Or if you want to be saved, just look at me. Everybody just look at me. If you want to be saved, do you want to be saved? Then say this prayer. Or if you looked at me, that means God sees your heart. And God knows your heart. And now you're a child of God. Understand what I'm saying? We believe on Jesus. Hey, that's true. You need to believe on Jesus. But it's a mix of truth and error. And it's a false gospel. The devil mimics truth. And the devil imitates. And he can definitely mimic real Christianity with religion. He sows what looks like to be good seed. It's planted with good seed so many times. But in reality, it cannot possibly bear fruit. To the second application, because there is another application to what I'm saying here. And the application is this there are those who profess Christ but do not possess Christ. This is at the heart of the parable of wheat and tares. Satan is the master counterfeiter, he's an imitator. 
And he comes along and he sows seed along with the wheat. And when the blade springs up and it starts to bring forth fruit, then the tares appear also. They can't possibly bring forth fruit. Now there's a difference between them and it's visible and it shows that they're tares. And so the serpent said, where did these tares come from? Didn't you sow good seed in your field? And the sower says, yeah, I did. And enemies done this. And the, and the servant said, well, should we go and reap them? Should we go and gather them together and burn them up? And he says, no, don't do that. Because if you go start tearing up the tares, you're going to bring some wheat also. Don't you worry about it. I've got this covered. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But the application is there are those who profess Christ, but do not possess Christ. And even good Bible-believing Baptist churches can have tares among the wheat. Now, what does it take to be a member of a New Testament church? Well, you need to be born again, amen? You need to have a credible salvation testimony, and you need to be baptized, and your baptism makes you a member of the church. A church, in reality, because that is the qualification for membership, in reality, a church should not have any unsaved people in it, right? But Jesus' church did. And Satan is a master counterfeiter who's an imitator, who makes it look like it's good seed, but in reality it's tares. You understand the point? That even in good New Testament Baptist churches, there can be tares among the wheat. And verse 30 of our text says, Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. There can be, quote, Christians professing to be saved, acting as if they are saved outwardly, but truly on the inside they're not saved. Many things can be imitated in the Christian life. Satan's the master counterfeiter, you can, and you can fake a lot of things, and you can fake people out. But here's one thing that I've learned. That in reality, genuine fruit is the one thing that cannot be faked in the Christian life. Genuine fruit. Verse 26 said that the tares grew up with the wheat, and when the blade sprung up and it brought forth fruit... Then appeared the tares also. What are these things? They're not the same thing as these things. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that can be faked. But genuine fruit cannot be. And that is when the tares are made known to be barren. So what are some things that people look to in order to convince themselves or others that they're, they're wheat, that they're saved, and not tares or the unsaved. Most of the time, people start with a profession of faith. Here's what I use to convince myself that I'm truly a child of God. There was a time when I prayed a prayer, and there was a time 
when I asked Jesus into my heart to save me. But I want you to turn over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that a profession does not mean or guarantee real salvation. A profession is not the thing that verifies a true child of God or real salvation. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. You notice here that these are those are the ones who profess that they know God, but in reality, in their life work, they deny Him, and they're abominable, and they're reprobate. It's like this. Those who say, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm a member of the church, but life away from church doesn't actually bear that profession out. What's your life like? You can say all day long, I've been saved. But what does the fruit of your life show or prove? People say, well, I was baptized too. But we know baptism has nothing to do with salvation. People say, oh, I'm a member of a church. I have spiritual activity in my life. I serve in some ministry. We'll go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. In the context of Acts chapter 1, Peter stands up before the church and he says, we need to replace Judas. And we need a new apostle. And the Bible says in verse 15, And then in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together, about 120. So about 120 members in this church. Peter seems to be the presiding elder. And he stands up in front of the church and you have a meeting here. And he says in verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. And what he's referring to is that all the while they walked with Jesus, those three and a half years, that Judas was numbered with them as apostles that Judas took part in the ministry. What was the ministry? Well, they were ministering to the Lord, certainly, but Jesus sent them out two by two, and they worked miracles, and they preached the gospel, and, and they were trained underneath Jesus himself. And all that time, Judas was numbered with the apostles. He had part in this ministry. In other words, Judas went soul winning. Judas gave money. Judas was also the handler of the money. He held the bag. He was a thief. 
Judas took part in all of the privilege and all of the other things that the other apostles experienced and did. Judas was part of it, and yet Judas was not saved. And the point is, is that all of these things, all of the spiritual activity, all of the serving in the ministry meant absolutely nothing when it came right down to the condition of his heart. Real salvation. Judas did every one of those things, even being numbered with the apostles, and yet he was not saved. And what I'm saying is that people will look to all kinds of proofs of salvation, but the truth is every single one of those things could be faked because none of the other apostles knew that Judas wasn't saved. Right? So what is it that can't be faked? What is it that's genuine, that's real fruit, of salvation. And the question is, can you produce fruit? Well, the Word of God tells us something about where fruit comes from. Where does the fruit come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God that works in you. Now, go to Galatians chapter 4, and I want you to notice this. Galatians chapter 4, Galatians 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, okay? So that we could be the children of God, so that we could be born again. Look at verse 6. And because ye are sons, because you're really saved, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. He says, because of the fact that you're genuine, that you're really a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, because I want you to note this as well. So if you're truly a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You have deity living inside of you. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. He says, examine your heart and prove your own heart. Test it. How do you not know if Jesus Christ is in you unless you're a reprobate? But then go, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the point is this. God sends forth His Spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, you have the Holy Spirit of God. And the Word of God says, examine your heart. You have to know if Jesus Christ is in you unless you're not saved. And the point is, deity living inside is unmistakable. It's something that cannot possibly be faked. And here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. It means he's a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Deity living inside is made known by a changed life, a transformed life. What does that mean? It means that like, if you're truly a child of God and the Spirit of God is in you, it doesn't matter. It, it, like, you can say all you want. You can do all you want to try to convince people. But lots of things can be faked. But what you can't fake is this genuine heart of love for God and a transformation of your life from what you used to be to what you are now because the Spirit of God is in you. And it's going to show in the life that you live. You're going to love the things of God like you've never, ever loved anything before. Something in your soul that drives you. I want to please God, and I want to love God, and I want to obey Him. Oh, I screw up all the time, and I mess up all the time. And I'm a failure a lot when it comes to, to, to that which is good. But you know what? There's never, ever a time when there's something down inside that just says, I hate to fail because I want to please Him. I want to love Him. You can't create that. You can't fake that. That's generated by the Spirit of God within There's real inward desire to please and obey God, to be separate from this world. Not only are you going to love the things of God, but you're also going to love the people of God. There is a bond and a kindred spirit and a connection with God's people that cannot be faked because of the Spirit of God linking us together. Oh, it's so very telling. When people start to get really uncomfortable around spiritual people, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I just don't like that guy. I just don't like that person. I don't want to be around. I don't want to talk to him. And birds of a feather will flock together. When testimony time comes around, And people are testifying and telling of the goodness of God and what God has done in their life and just sit there like, oh, this is so boring. I cannot wait to get out of here. Why is that? Can't look a spiritual person in the eye? Avoid at all cost? Or when testimony time comes around and you know that your time is coming up and you got to say something and I start to get super nervous because I got nothing to say that will convince them that I truly know the Lord. Right? I know what that's like. I was that. I had a profession of faith. I wanted to go to heaven. I participated in religious activity. I tried to convince people. But in my heart, there was nothing to say. Why? Know ye not how that Jesus Christ is in you? 
except he be reprobates? Jesus says there are people, the reason I'm speaking in parables is because all of you have access to the same truth, but there are some of you who don't actually want to hear what's true. And unto you that are saved, it's given to understand the things of God. The knowledge that you have is going to increase because God's going to give you more. But others, they try to fake it, they try to look it, but they're not actually it. And their heart is wax gross, their heart is callous, they, the, the truth can't penetrate them, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to see, so I'm speaking in parables so that it's hard for them to understand because they don't want to hear it anyway. They've tuned it out. And the reason they've tuned it out is because they're not genuine. Another verification of a changed life is not the just loving the things of God and loving God's power over sin in your life. And a lot of times that's something that is not visible to other men. The question is, does sin actually smite your heart or bring conviction to you? Do you actually have dealings from the Spirit of God in your heart, like chastening, for example? Because you know what? We can all get sideways at times. We can, because we're sinful people. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says that, that God scourges every son whom He receiveth. Because we all get sideways sometimes. But if ye be without chastisement then you're bastards, you're illegitimate children, you're not really the child of God, you're not sons. So you can live on and on and sit with sin in life and that keep, it, uh, you know, keep, keep going the way that you are and never have the, the Spirit of God confirming in you and dealing with you as a son. You just keep on living however you want to live for your own pleasure and gain. I don't really have much love for God don't really care about serving God. I don't care about the church. We go, but that's not really what my life is. And there's no chastening of the Lord. You're not a legitimate child of God. That's what the Word of God says. I didn't make it up. These are marks of sonship. These are marks of sonship, that I truly am a child of God. They cannot be faked. They cannot be mistaken. And so, what is the conclusion? What are you? Wheat or a tear? Do you truly possess Jesus Christ? Has your life truly changed since you say that you've believed? Does the Spirit of God confirm that within you? I'm no man's judge. That's not the point here. I am no man's judge. That's the question that needs to be answered. Because 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. So then that brings up this last question before I close. If that's true, that there can be tares among wheat, 
And even in a New Testament Baptist church, there can be people who look like they're saved, say that they're saved, but they're not actually saved. And then maybe you look at the fruit of their life, and it's like, wow, this is starting to become evident, because this is not the same as that. The fruit comes out, so do the the tares appear also. How do you reach them? Should we not be concerned for their soul? Should we not try to reach out to them? How do we reach those who are tares among the wheat? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 27. Look at it with me before we close. In verse 27, So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Where did these tares come from? We can see. It's evident. We can see that there's a difference between the true and the false. Even we can see it. Where did these tares come from? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Should we go and root those tares out? Should we remove them because they're not really wheat? And then he says, Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the question is, should we not... Should we reach out? Like, should, how, should we root them out? Because they're not actual wheat? That was the question. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Because if you go and attempt to root out the tares, you're going to take some wheat with it and do more damage. Just let me handle it. I've got it covered. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and I will sort it out. And you know what? There might be times when I have a perception of something or you have a perception of something regarding other people, maybe in the church, and like, man, are you even saved? Should I go and root them out as the pastor? Should I go and say, hey, you're not really a child of God. Uh, you, you're not wheat. You need to deal with this. Should I go do that? No. The Lord says, I've got it covered. You don't really know anyway. I don't really know anyway. But the Lord does. Let them both grow together, along with the other wheat, until the harvest, and I will take care of it. You say, that's great. I have good instruction for myself, but instruction that also goes along with that is 2 Corinthians 13, 5. You should examine yourself. We should be concerned for our own heart and my own soul. I should be examining my heart. And when I do that with a humble heart, all of a sudden the truth of God that he's been trying to give, all of a sudden those calluses start to come off the heart. All of a sudden, the scales come off the eyes. All of a sudden, the ears are ready to hear. And I'm willing to see and admit my own condition before God.
That make sense? It's some good teaching from Jesus. Some good application in life, application in life principle for us. Do you love the Lord? Is the Spirit of God evidencing that in your own life? Do you love God's people? Do you love the things of God? Well, if we're truly sons of God and we're truly wheat, those are the things that will manifest themselves and dominate in our life. Amen? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word. And Lord, sometimes there are messages that are hard to preach. Sometimes there's truth that can be difficult. But I'm thankful for it because if I'm in that condition and not right toward God, then I need to hear it. And instead of considering it to be something of negativity, consider it as this is the love of God toward me. This is the grace of God in my life to try to show me what I am so that I can be right with Him. And Lord, I don't know how you might use this. It can apply to saved and unsaved alike. And for the saved, we need to be alert. We shouldn't be sleeping. We need to be vigilant. We need to hold the truth. We need to be telling the truth. We need to be on guard in our own life because Satan opposes the work of God. For the unsaved, or for those who say they love God, maybe the Spirit of God is trying to pull and convict. Lord, I pray that there would not be a prideful response, but a heart of surrender and yieldedness to the Spirit of God. So Lord, I ask that you'd have your way in these moments, in Jesus' name, amen.